0: Since the beginning of time, men have objectified women, from tramp to tart, or whore to hoe, and at some point in 2012, a new word was born. That, meaning that hoe out there, or that hoe over there. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Spiritual Thoughts Podcast with your host, me, Taylor. And today's special guest, we have Ellie from the Speed Bumps Podcast here to help us kind of dissect the level of consciousness that is acceptance. So Ellie, if you want to give everyone a little background on you and what you do and your story, that would be fantastic. And thanks for being here. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you for
1: having me on. I'm super excited that, uh, you run my podcast and we got to meet in person and now I'm
0: on yours. I know. I love, um, I love being able to like meet people you meet on the internet in person. It's super cool. (laughs) Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. So I was a, what they
1: professionals call a medically complex baby, uh, in easy terms, I had five holes in my heart when I was born, uh, five de- or four defects in my heart called of fallow and a tight mitral valve. So I had open heart surgery at seven months old and thankfully haven't had any heart surgeries uh, since. Uh, but I was also born with what's called a radio clubbed hand. So in your forearm, you have two bones. You have your radius that's on the side that connects to your thumb, your ulna that's on the side that connects to your pinky. And I don't have a left radius at all. My left arm is also shorter. I have no thumb. And when I was born, if you look down at your hand, your index where your index finger is, it was wrapped. My index finger was wrapped all the way in. So it was actually touching the inside of my forearm. Oh wow. So it was wrapped all the way in. And then with splints as a baby, because baby's bones are malleable, they made Mm -hmm. it look like an uppercase L. Mm -hmm. So they just moved my wrist. And I that's how I lived until I was about 10. -hmm. And I went and had this multiple procedures done. I had seven of them where they surgically broke my left arm Mm -hmm. starting at the age of 10, drilled pins into my bone, and we would manually separate that broken bone with like a wrench. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, it would stretch the broken bones apart, stretch the muscles, nerves, skin, tendons, blood vessels, all that fun stuff. And so now my arm or my wrist is straight or straight as it can be. And I also gained about two and a half inches during all of those surgeries. So from ages of 10 to 14, I had seven limb lengthening surgeries.
0: Wow. That's a lot to go through as a child. Like that's a lot of surgeries and like medical trauma, I, I would assume. Yeah. it. Uh,
1: we quickly learned that you had to have me completely knocked out. And to this day, this is still true, before mm-hmm. you wheel me into an OR.
0: Mm-hmm. So-
1: The first surgery that they went to go do on my hand, I was 10. It was my first surgery that I remembered. And it was supposed to be in the morning. And something happened where I didn't get into the operating room until almost five o'clock in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. Well, you can't drink. You can't eat. Mm. And they also hadn't put in an IV in. So at this point, I'm also dehydrated. They had to bribe me to put an IV in. And then they wheeled me into the operating room completely awake. I was a very petite child, okay? Most 10-year-olds aren't super strong, right? Right. I remember hopping off the gurney or the operating room table and took my mom, the anesthesiologist, the doctor, and like four nurses to hold me down to put that mask on me to knock me out because they also couldn't get my arm still enough to put the medicine through the IV. Yeah. So I've since learned, I'm like, you have to knock me out when I'm in pre-op. If you start wheeling me and I am not knocked out yet, you're going to have a chase on your head.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Shit. Yeah. That's a lot. I mean, I couldn't do it like hospitals and I don't have any like severe, like medical trauma like that, but it must be like a past life thing. I have this intense, intense fear and just uh, anxiety around anything medical or hospitals or doctors. It's So I could only imagine how that plays a role into things. Um, going through all of that, um, and just that whole experience, how have you coped with that?
1: Uh, I hated my hand as a kid.
0: Yeah. Like
1: flat out. I hated the fact that I was different. I got teased for it. Um, I couldn't really do gym. And then once I started having the surgeries, I really couldn't do gym because if a ball hit that frame,
0: mm.
1: um, it could the frame could break my arm could break and then afterwards it was if a ball hit my arm or I fell or whatever the bone could break I actually fell at one point and the bone did break so yeah. like I didn't have that quote unquote normal childhood even in school right. I was separated and segregated um, I had teachers who like a computer teacher in fourth grade who didn't want to grade me on my typing. Because my hand placement wasn't quote unquote normal where you had the two thumbs on the space bar and wherever else your fingers are supposed to go. Even though it was more accurate and faster than anyone else.
0: Yeah.
1: She didn't want to grade me just because my hand placement was wrong. So it was, it sucked because it was so obvious I was different. I would hide my hand. Right. uh, Like in long sleeves. I would if a sweatshirt, my arm is the perfect length that that pocket in the front, it just fits right in there. And then Mm -hmm. you have no idea. Yeah. So stuff like that. Like I just, I learned to hide it in pictures as a kid, I would always like stand. So my right shoulder was facing forward, or if there was multiple people, my left arm was always behind Mm -hmm. someone. So you never actually saw it.
0: Yeah. You kind of like adapted. So it was most people, like if they didn't really know you, like they kind of wouldn't know it was a thing. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's interesting. And I actually had, um, I had a friend that was missing, uh, one of his thumbs and I literally, we were friends for a couple of years and I literally had no idea that he was missing his thumb until we were drunk one night. And then all of a sudden, like he, because he was drunk and forgot to hide it. And I was like, Holy shit, dude! Like, where'd your thumb go? And he was like, "It's always been gone." I was like, "What?" I was like, "Have you hid it from us for this long?" He's like, "Yeah." He's like, "People with, you know, differences—like, if they don't want it to be seen, they they do a real good job at hiding shit." I'm like, "Wow." I yeah, that. like that's crazy. You yeah, know?
1: Yeah, I. It's funny because people I don't consciously hide it anymore. Yeah, sometimes it looks like I'm hiding it, but it's just shorter, so it like it's naturally like in my jean's pocket I'm not trying to hide it like I don't care anymore yeah my name is one thumb l I'm pretty Which I talking about love. yeah
0: that's pretty awesome
1: <laughs> but for a while yeah I hit it and there would be people like your friend or you where they wouldn't notice for a really long time and then all of a sudden you can see the change on their face and this confusion like was it was there an accident did I miss it has it yeah. always been like this and it's, I get this weird enjoyment out of it. And I think it's hilarious. Uh, but yeah.
0: So what are your feelings about it now?
1: For the most part, I would say 98% of the time, mm-hmm. I wouldn't change it. Yeah. Um, at one point, I had a, an ex-boyfriend who was really good with Photoshop mm-hmm. and Photoshopped it so it looked like I had two quote unquote normal hands. Uh-huh. Freaked me out. I deleted the picture. I was like, this is not me. Yeah. I hated it. Um, But for them, like I said, 98, 99% of the time, totally cool with it. The only time that it starts to bother me
0: Mm -hmm.
1: is I wonder if I have a kid and that child is born like me, I wrestle with, is it my fault? Mm. And or is that kid going to get picked on because their mom looks
0: different? Right. Right.
1: But other than that, I don't like, I'm just me. I, I don't want two thumbs. I wouldn't know what to do with two thumbs.
0: <laughs> like <laughs> I <love> sometimes that. <laughs> I
1: catch myself looking at people like my husband. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how do you do that? Like, I, I wouldn't know how to use two thumbs. It's a totally foreign concept to me.
0: Yeah. And it, well, and it's because that's just all you've known. Exactly. And so how did you get from that as a, like that perspective, as a kid of just like completely hating it to just now being like, well, I don't even know what I would do with two thumbs actually. So like, what obviously it took like a a process but like what could you point to like anything specific that kind of shifted that or any moments in time where you kind of saw it shift like that perspective shift
1: I always kind of had this when someone told me I couldn't do something because of my hand Mm -hmm. like oh yeah watch me like I had to prove them wrong but for the longest time that proving them wrong wasn't from the right place and As I got older, I would say probably college, grad school time is when I really started to embrace it. I had found, um, I met people finally at 21, 22 with a hand that looked like mine. Mm -hmm. So for 22 years, I didn't see anyone who looked like me. Yeah. Uh, Knew they conceptually were out there, maybe saw them on Facebook, but didn't meet someone in person. Realizing that I'm not alone, uh, that was huge for me. And having that connection, uh, helping kids like learn how to tie their shoes. That was huge for me Mm -hmm. because I didn't have that as a kid. And so being able to give back and try and make it so the things I struggled with as a kid, the kids, you know, now don't have to hopefully, or at least as much. And so that was kind of the pair that was the beginning of the paradigm shift yeah of okay I have this and then you know what am I how can I give back using it and I remember there was a so with my first husband um I'd worn like a strapless wedding dress Mm -hmm. and maybe two months before the wedding I was talking to a woman who I call my second mom and her Mm -hmm. oldest daughter also has a limb difference or disability Mm -hmm. or whatever you guys want to call it. And I remember talking to her and going, Melissa, I can't walk down the aisle. Everyone's going to see my arm. And I'm 26 at at this point. Mm -hmm. And I was like, everyone's going to judge me. And Melissa's like, It's your wedding. I'm pretty sure they all know by now. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't get it. And this is like, this really sucks and it's scary. And like, everyone's going to think it looks weird and I'm asymmetrical. And I'm like, going on, on, on. And she just stops me and she goes, What would you tell Julia, her daughter with the limb difference, if she came to you and said this? And I was like, And I had to stop because I wouldn't let Julia talk like this. Yeah. So why was I letting myself talk like this? And that, exact question I was like all right all right I yeah it completely shut down that thought process like
0: it was like checkmate
1: (laughs) yeah exactly and I was like well if I wouldn't want Julia talking like this because she's beautiful and she's gorgeous and no one's gonna care and like all the things that I would tell Julia that's what I started telling myself I love that it was like talking to my inner child but i had to view it from the viewpoint of someone else that i cared about who was a child at the time.
0: Yeah, and i love that so much and a lot of times like with um people that i work with or just friends or whatever in general when they have like a really tough like inner critic voice or just they're really harsh on themselves and myself included like this is something that i still work on to this day but one of the things like when you catch yourself talking to yourself in like kind of a demeaning or abusive way it's like it's like okay well if this was my best friend or you know somebody else's kid that i heard someone talking to like that like what would yeah. i say to them i'd be like uh fucking shut the fuck up how about that like yeah, yeah like know? that's not true like, That's not cool that? why would yeah. you say that about yourself and yeah. it's like all right so why would you say that about yourself you know and you, you go down that line of questioning and i think that's one of the biggest things in like inner work and self work is just like the inner dialogue that we have with ourselves on a daily basis And I think because we think it's, oh, it's just us. So I can talk to me however I want to is like the mindset that just keeps us trapped. Right. And so when we look at ourselves from like a more loving lens, even if you have to look at yourself as if you were talking to like your best friend or like that really cool cousin that, you know, or, you know, whatever, I think that helps shift things a lot. Yes, Um, With like all of the medical trauma and things like that, because I know a lot of times when people go through like sexual trauma or any kind of like abuse they oftentimes develop like a lot of dissociation from their body did you ever notice that with yourself or have to like work through that at all or was that not really something that um not
1: really the one unique thing that i didn't realize it was unique until honestly a couple of years ago was if you can imagine pulling not pulling but stretching bones apart is very very painful yes and this process the first frame took six months. The second frame took 10, almost 11, I think. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sleeping with it and it's big and it's clunky and clothes and preteens and all, all the things, but it would hurt really bad. And I didn't like the pain medicine that they gave me because it made me feel weird and it upset my stomach, but it still really hurt. And my parents didn't know anything about homeopathy or uh, anything like that. It was just what the doctor gave them. So I had a mat, I would imagine a needle going into the pain spot and a syringe or a plunger being drawn up on a syringe and the pain being drawn up. And then I would throw the syringe away. And then I would repeatedly do this until the pain was gone.
0: And this was all like a, like a visualization thing.
1: It is. And no one taught it to me. It was very instinctual. Like, wow. Okay. This is what I'm supposed to do. So it didn't help all the time, but it helped a lot of the time. And I just, I thought it was normal. And so I would do this for other things that hurt as I got older. And it wasn't until I was, like I said, a couple of years ago that someone's like, you were basically doing Reiki on yourself before you knew what Reiki was. I was like,
0: I guess I was. Yeah, that's really cool. So it was just kind of like this intuitive, like energy work that you were just doing on yourself to kind of just help. But I had to
1: put it in the context that I knew. And I knew that a Mm -hmm. syringe would draw something out. And so that's what I imagined.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting because um, a lot of times like people think that energy work is just, you know, just like drawing in like this mysterious like energy from whatever. But a lot of times when I do energy work, I actually take visualizations of just like, everyday things. So like if somebody has like, um, I don't know, something clogged in their heart chakra, I'll take like it's just like stuff that comes up. Like I have this little dust buster that I'll take and I'll I'll yeah. dust bust out. So it's like that same concept is just very like this intuitive kind of based thing um using like visualizations that are kind of practical to do something not so practical which I think is really fucking cool
1: yeah yeah it's like I, said, I no one taught it to me no one told me I never told my parents yeah. because I didn't think it was something I needed to tell and it like so it wasn't until recently that I was like oh hey that's what that is
0: that's awesome do you um Like, as a kid, um, because you, I mean, because of this experience of, like, you being able to do energy work on yourself, did you have any other, like, kind of, like, um, not paranormal, but, like, spiritual experiences, like, going through these processes that you could remember as a kid or or not really? I remember um,
1: having, like, premonition dreams kind of as a kid and, like, telling my mom and she would get kind of freaked out. um, I could predict when people were going to die that was always creepy to my mom and Mm -hmm. to me to be honest with you um (laughs) our basement i for the longest time can i told my parents that it was built an indian burial ground and i swore up and down that it was Mm
0: -hmm.
1: apparently from like four or five maybe to like eight ish Kept telling my parents they weren't my real parents. My mom would have to repeatedly show me <laughs> the pictures of her pregnant belly. And then she would literally be like, Elizabeth, you're kind of physically unique. They're not going to mix you up with another baby. Yeah. And I'm like, no, but you're not. I'm adopted. I'm adopted. And I swore up and down I was adopted for years.
0: Yeah. It pissed my mom off. She's like, no, I gave <laughs> birth to you. Like, no. <laughs> Interesting. I wonder what, I wonder if that's like. What do you think that was? I don't know. Some people,
1: you know, I've told this to some people and they're like, oh, so it was a walk-in experience um, from one of your surgeries. It was because, because I had other surgeries between my heart surgery and my arm, yeah. but the quote unquote normal ones, tonsils, adenoids, tubes, and like, right? I, I was a very sick kid mm-hmm. and they're like, every time I went under anesthesia, part of my soul would fragment.
0: Mm. And so
1: it was trying to find some of those pieces, because to your point, I didn't realize maybe I was disassociating, yeah, but that's trauma. that's yeah, I, I don't know what's happening. I go to sleep, right? quote unquote, mm-hmm. with my mom holding me or whatever. But the room smells funny, and I wake up and then I'm in a ton of pain, yeah, like, of course course you're gonna
0: yeah of course you're gonna fragment off like yeah any normal human being like psyche would do that you know what I mean and that's like um have you ever um worked with anybody that does like soul retrievals
1: I worked with one woman who did some soul retrievals and she found some fragments I it was weird I could like kind of hear myself and I kind of remember it but I Mm -hmm. don't have this it was almost like a dream yeah I remember there was a couple like little kid voices there was like a older guy I think and it was like he was very protective like you know you're like almost like standing guard um there's a few of them I like I said I don't remember them all but I did that once and it was interesting I felt tired but lighter but more complete all at the same time afterwards. And then I went home and slept a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think um soul retrievals are really cool. That it's one of the practices that I do um in I have like a three to six month long program that I take people through like the different chakras. And at the mm-hmm. end, when we go to the heart space, we um do a soul retrieval. And so we never know what's going to come up or what's going to want to come back with them. And trauma breaks that part of you off at whatever age that was and like freezes it in time and like puts it away somewhere for you to like come back to, to like reintegrate or like deal with, you know, whatever, um, they needed at that time or, you know, kind of just doing like some inner child work to unfreeze them and like bring them back into like your conscious awareness and, um, parts work and, uh, soul retrieval are two really cool um, ways to do that. Um, so you've always kind of been a little bit like spiritually in tune then, like as a kid.
1: I was, but I didn't realize that that's what it was because I was raised Catholic and it, that stuff was never talked about. Um, It was, ghosts were bad or maybe they were like a deceased loved one, um, but typically they were bad. Um Ouija boards always brought demons. Mm -hmm. Uh, Only God can heal. I remember in Catholicism, there's various, uh, call them mini holy sites, Mm -hmm. um, like grottos and things like that, where they have dedications to saints where supposedly people have been healed. Mm -hmm. And I have this distinct memory of just before starting this whole limb lengthening journey of going to this one specific site and there's a part and I forget the exact prayer and it's since been reworded in the past like 10 years but there was a part of a catholic prayer that says lord I am not worthy to receive you but only say the word and I shall be healed and so in my kid brain that meant if I prayed enough I would grow a thumb Mm. and so I would repeat this whether it was in mass or in school or whatever like I would just repeat this line over and over and over and over and we went to this grotto and there was these um like crutches that people had used or uh, canes or different medical devices that people supposedly no longer needed once they left this site mm. so we were there for I don't know 20-30 minutes And my mom's looking around and my grandma's looking around. And I think my dad and sister were there. I don't know. And I thought I was going there to be healed. I thought I was going there to grow a thumb. And my hand was going to be straight. And my hands were going to look symmetrical and all, all the things. Yeah. And when we left, nothing changed. And I was angry and I was sad and I'm crying and I can't. I'm like trying to explain to my mom and I finally get out. Like, I thought I was going to be better. And she's like, what do you mean better? I was like, thought I was going to grow a thumb. And she, like, how do you explain that to a kid? Yeah. That's part of your religion. So then she believes. And then it doesn't happen. Like, God only does
0: selective miracles? Like, how does that work? Yeah, like, that's kind of fucked up. <laughs> wow. That must have been super heartbreaking. I like I can just see like a like little you just being like, this is it like I get to grow my thumb and then just being so fucking pissed and angry and just that's yeah, I'd be pissed too.
1: <laughs> be like yeah, fuck and, you, God. And, and, <laughs> like, and as a kid, because of that, the thing that I was picked on and different for, like yeah, of course I wanted to look like everybody else,
0: right. Yeah, because at, at that age, all you want to do is just belong somewhere. Like you want exactly. to fit in and belong and feel like, you know, you're part of everyone else. And it's hard to do when like you feel so different, you know? Where did your path like turn more towards like spirituality and like home uh like homeopathy and like that whole route? Um, when I met my
1: now husband. Mm-hmm. So after grad school. Um, after my first husband, all the things. I was going through a divorce and I met him and I had what I think was maybe COVID before COVID or really bad bronchitis or some upper respiratory thing. And I'd never been this sick before. And I was going to the hospital and getting those like really intense breathing treatments that's supposed to be like the highest one they can give. And within 20 minutes, I'm (gasps) And I'm wheezing. They had me on like three inhalers. They had me on antibiotics. They had me on steroids and they're throwing everything at me. Yeah. And I'm hacking and I'm coughing and like it it was just awful. And one night he goes, Can I just put a diffuser next to the bed? And I'm like, Sure. Like, hands up. Like, it can't hurt. Right. Yeah. And I slept through the night. That was the first night I slept through the night in like a month. And Maybe a month prior, he had took me to my first crystal shop. So he was like slowly introducing me, and he was full fledged into like crystals, mm-hmm. uh, mainly crystals, but like kind of in essential oils and things like that. Yeah. And working in pharma, I thought all of this was woo
0: woo BS. Yeah, kind of bullshit snake oil. You're like, what? Yeah, are, like, what yeah, is like, it? I don't need this shit.
1: <laughs> yeah, what? Do you, you're telling me an herb's gonna fix my headache? Like, yeah, some oil's gonna fix my back pain? Like that? No, no.
0: Yeah. And kind of just to go back off of that. um, So your uh, profession was in microbiology, correct? And you were in the pharmaceutical.
1: Correct. My specialty was infectious diseases. Okay. So I, uh, in grad school, was developing vaccines for potential bioweapons. And then I went to the pharma industry and I worked in pharma from January of 17 to April 7th, 2021, Mm -hmm. and I left. And I probably had started the whole, the very beginning journeys of the crystals and essential oils and homeopathy in like October, November of 2019.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, what's funny is I was actually going to ask you if it was in 2019 (laughs) because I had a feeling. I was like, it was probably 2019. It was in 2019 Mm -hmm. and...
1: First it was the crystals, and then it was for really a long time the essential oils, and then it was herbs and tinctures, and then it mm-hmm. was homeopathy. And I don't think any one thing is necessarily better. I think they all have their time in place. Yeah. And I also think Western medicine has its time in place. You know, essential oils were not gonna fix my heart problems as a baby. No. I would have died. So Western medicine absolutely has its time in place but I just think it's overused.
0: 1000%. Like I think Western medicine is good for like, kind of like life and death situations, surgeries and things like that. But I think on the basis, if you of a lot of people just realized and took into account, like what are you putting into your body on a daily basis? You know, like take a look at your trauma history and like the things that you have been through and your level of stress. And like, you know, how are you treating your body and how are you treating your mind? And you kind of like go from there and you- slowly start making changes it makes a huge difference in just the way that you operate on a daily basis
1: absolutely and what was wild for me is so I was on some type of pharma drug from basically from birth to beginning of 2020 yeah so I'm 31 now Mm -hmm. and that's the weird thing is ever since my car accident I don't my I don't know my age anymore
0: Really Um,
1: interesting. I always say I'm 27, which was the time, how old I was when I got hit.
0: Interesting. So never know how old I am. Okay. So then (laughs) this is a good segue into the car accident story. (laughs) So do you want to give us a little lowdown on that?
1: Yeah. So I was in grad school, just uh, finished my first year of getting my master's and The intersection was this funky five-way intersection. And when I could cross the road as a pedestrian, cars could also turn left in the same crosswalk that I was trying to walk in. And the cars were on the downside of a hill. So even if you were five cars back, you could still see the crosswalk. And so I have the little dude that lights up and says walk. And I'm walking across the street. And a lady cuts in front of me to turn left. And I remember t- looking over my right shoulder and being like, really? Like, you couldn't freaking wait. Like, I was in the middle of this because it was two, a left turn lane and then two lanes. So the five lane road. And I was in the middle of it. And I was like, she could have waited 10 more two seconds. seconds, yeah. And somehow, and this is where everything kind of gets fuzzy. Mm-hmm. I got in between her and the second car and the second car is the one who hit me. And so the left side of my body wraps around the front of this Ford escape and I'm five, four. So my left or my head, my left side of my head hit his hood. The, my left shoulder hit his hood. Um, my left hip hit his like grill and my left calf hit his bumper. Wow. And I flew from basically That second lane, almost the middle of the road, all the way back to the sidewalk.
0: So basically two two lanes. Yeah.
1: And I remember kind of coming to not knowing what happened, just knowing I'm now laying in the road and there's cars and I need to get out of the road. Yeah. And I remember trying to move. I think I screamed. Everything kind of gets all fuzzy. But I remember this guy picking me up under my arms, standing me completely upright. Mm-hmm. and i'm screaming
0: bloody God murder knows what. i'm sure
1: yeah and i see a guy in fatigues come running at me and him yelling put her down put her down and then all of a sudden i'm on the ground and i have a backpack on so i think someone was either holding my head or put something under my head cuz this was may 6 2014 so it wasn't like people had jackets or things like that um but that was actually the, the, my backpack was what saved my the back of my head from hitting the concrete, and so people are around me, and I remember my left leg being in this really contorted shape, and I was wearing a brand new white dress and a jean jacket and cowboy boots and very much of course my you were style, wearing white, right? <laughs> like.
0: Thanks universe.
1: Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for
0: ruining my white dress,
1: (laughs) my brand new white dress that I had like just put my ass off to, you know, lose weight in and anyway, so ambulances come stick me on the stretcher. Uh, One of the bystanders offers to call my mom. My mom answers and probably like most people, when you see an out of state area code, you don't answer. And even though I was in Pennsylvania at the time and they were in Michigan, the woman who called was calling from a Florida area code. Mm -hmm. So my mom had zero reason to pick up this number, but she did. And then my mom is not comprehending that I'm a pedestrian that was just hit by a motor vehicle.
0: Yeah.
1: So apparently they somehow figure that out. When they have to load me into the ambulance... They have to put that collar on, that C collar, that because they're worried about your spine. And they also have to straighten my left leg. Well, I've been sexually assaulted. So now you're trapping me down. You're putting something over my neck and you're not letting me move. Yeah. For obviously good medical reasons. But that's I'm traumatic also clearly not <laughs> in my right mind. Yeah. So, and because of all my history, my medical history, they load me in the ambulance and they, They're like, okay, we're going to give you some pain meds. And I say, no. And they're like, what? I was like, no, I'm allergic to things. I need to talk to the doctor. You cannot give me any pain medication until I speak with the doctor. And they're like, okay. And I'm like, can I just have my phone? I want to call my mom. At this point, I'm in shock, talking normally like I am to you. And I call my mom and I go, I think I broke my hip because it hurts really, really bad. Oh, look, we're at the hospital. Gotta go. Love you. Bye. Click. And I don't call her again for about nine hours. And so they wheel me into the trauma bay. Mind you, I can't look around. My head's in this stupid freaking sea collar. And they start cutting off my clothes. As a sexual assault victim, I'm freaking out. Freaking the fuck out. Yeah. And there's people touching me and I'm naked and it was awful. And they kept putting the catheter in my vagina, not my urethra. Oh, God. Like seven times. (laughs) I'm like, do you not know fucking anatomy? And I'm screaming and everything hurts. I end up having five broken bones in my pelvis, a broken left clavicle, a broken shoulder blade, and a traumatic brain injury. Fuck. And because of all my surgeries as a kid... Not only is my pain tolerance high, the amount of pain medicine you have to give me is probably insane. Is insane. So I was like maybe 110 pounds at that point, five, four. And I remember, and I'm screaming and like, it hurts. I need more. I need more. Nothing is touching it. And this nurse leans over. So her head is reverse of me and she goes i don't know how you're still conscious but if i give you any more you're going to od the best i can do is tylenol and i proceeded to yell obscenities at her She's (laughs) like you have to stop screaming (laughs) apparently i screamed a lot i have no recollection of this yeah um i don't know then it just kind of goes black and the next thing i remember is i'm sitting up cross-legged in a hospital bed in my own private room, and my parents show up. Like, so there's a huge chunk of missing time, probably from trauma, probably also from all the pain medicine and right. But apparently, it was probably nine ten hours until I talked to my parents again, and they saw me because they immediately drove to Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel that long to
0: me at all. Yeah, and um, so how was the recovery for that afterwards? So the hospital in
1: Pennsylvania was freaking awful. And mm-hmm. they're like, oh, you just have three broken bones in your pelvis. And like, maybe your left clavicle, you'll be up and walking in like four to six weeks. Um, so my parents load me in their cars. They drive me back to Michigan and they get a hospital bed set up in their dining room. And that's where I stay. And I can't put any weight on my left leg because the way that my pelvis broke, it was like a pop can or a soda can. Where the car hit me, it broke. And then my muscles held all the bones in place where they should be. So I didn't have any surgery then. I didn't have any plates, pins, screws, anything like that. Well, the mark of how long I had to stay in this bed and I couldn't walk kept getting moved. Because then it was like, no, it's not three breaks, it's four. And then it's not, it's not four, it's five. And then it's six weeks and then it's eight weeks and then it's 10 weeks. That's frustrating. <laughs> the sound of people walking, my parents walking and they, I was a bitch during that time.
0: Oh, I could imagine. I mean, you were probably I, angry and irritated that you couldn't walk and- Angry. Just... I had PTSD. Yeah. Um, Couldn't watch a TV show. Couldn't read
1: even like the back of a book without getting distracted and having massive headaches no one even checked my head until probably two to three weeks after. And I was telling my orthopedist, they were looking at my pelvis and I was telling them all these brain symptoms I was having fog and anger and um, all this stuff. And they're like, Oh, well, didn't you get checked for like a traumatic brain injury or anything? And we're like, no. And they're like, well, what about PTSD or like anything like that? And we're like, "Uh, no, he's like, All right, so, and that started a whole nother list of doctors and a whole nother list of prescriptions. And so I started walking around, it was my birthday, so July 11th, and uh, it sucked. I'd use a cane. Seeing someone that young with a cane, everyone's like, what happened to you? And then you see my hand and. Yeah, it it just, it was a lot. (laughs) When people already stared at me from my hand and now they're staring at me because yeah, I hated being the center of attention. It was always this pity. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, poor you. Oh, poor thing. Kind of
0: like this patronizing pity that you're just like, stop. Like, don't. Don't do that.
1: Please stop.
0: Yeah. You are cringing me. (laughs) Yeah.
1: My, uh, in you, my parents were still Catholics and they would put me in a wheelchair and try and take me to church because they didn't think I could be left home alone. And, uh. all the older people there
0: well at least you didn't die you're like fuck off janet (laughs) like sometimes maybe i wish that was the case like you don't know how i feel right now Like (laughs) like well at least you didn't die
1: well at least you didn't need surgery yet and i'm like well yes these things are true i am still currently in a wheelchair and my parents have to shower me at 27 28 years old
0: yeah fuck off
1: (laughs) yeah exactly
0: (laughs) it's like you're not being helpful you're not being helpful
1: you're not being sweet um I just want to punch you in the face but I can't because you're this little old
0: lady (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) so um from that so okay one thing that I noticed was it's interesting that a lot of like your traumatic things like surgeries and stuff was all on your left side of your body Have you dug into that at all? Nope, because did not realize that until you just pointed it out. Okay, yeah. So one (laughs) of the things, (laughs) um, and this is something we can go more in depth later if you're not comfortable talking about it now, but a lot of that has to do with like the feminine uh, side and our our receptive side and, you know, creativity and all that good stuff, intuition. um, So that's really interesting that it's all just left side stuff. Yeah. With the exception of your heart surgery, but like two well, major you, well, But your heart's
1: on your left.
0: Yeah, that's true. Actually, uh, your, your no, yeah, you are right. So it's your all the left on side. Left. Yeah. Wow.
1: The only thing that I've ever had on my right, I have two things on my right, is Christmas of 2020, I had to have a ovarian cyst removed off my right ovary. Mm-hmm. And then um, from using my right hand so much, I had to have uh, nerve surgery, ulnar yeah. nerve transposition. And, but everything else has been on my left or has been equal, like tubes in both sides Mm -hmm. or something like that.
0: Yeah. Interesting. And it almost seems like, um, like the ovarian cyst and the, um, the nerve stuff in your hand was like, well, maybe not the ovarian cyst, but the stuff in your hand is like overcompensating for what the left couldn't do.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. It's actually called overcompensation syndrome or compensation syndrome. Yeah. Yeah, It's super common in people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. Uh, the quote-unquote normal side or the most normal side they throw around ranges of um like let's say i'm 30 i'm really 31 but for easy math i'm 30 my right arm slash my good arm slash normal arm is really 60 or between 45 and 60 so the things that you would expect to see in someone older will happen much faster because you're using that arm or that limb twice as much.
0: Right. Right. That makes sense. Have you had like issues with like control or like being able to like, because I feel like, um, like with having disabilities, you probably had to have help at some point a lot. And maybe you have that, um, there's like that part of you that's like no I can do it myself and I want to prove to you that like I can do it better than you can like was that kind of the attitude that you had growing up yeah absolutely
1: it was the I'm gonna prove to you that I can and it was very much I don't want help from anyone if I accept help I'm weak I am bad I am defective uh that was a big one for a while is if I accepted help, I was defective in just proving that I was disabled because disabled was also a dirty word or handicapped was a dirty word. And so it, asking for help, like, which wasn't not, a thing that I yeah, did. It was not it on was, the table. It not a thing. And it took a long time to be like, no, like, it's okay to ask someone to help open the jar of pickles. Like, it's okay if Whatever. I am carrying stuff and as long as they're not doing it in a patronizing way and they're just genuinely trying to be nice, trying to be nice, like let them help. And me asking for help does not mean that I am any less. In fact, it means that I'm more because I'm willing to notice that this is what I need. And then asking for that as opposed to pushing everyone else away.
0: Yeah. And that kind of comes back around to like that acceptance piece, right? It's like accepting that just because I want help or need help doesn't mean that I'm like any less than anybody else. And most of the time, I think some of the strongest people you know, have that ability to ask for help because a lot of times, especially in our society, like we're taught, like it's weak to ask for help. And you're like, than, and you shouldn't have to ask for help and you can do everything all yourself and blah, 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 blah. And so many people get stuck in this, like, let me do it all myself. Like, I'm not going to ask for help. And they struggle so long, like, and they're like, damn. And then they finally ask for help. Like I should have asked for help so long ago. Like, why didn't I not ask for help?
1: (laughs) Yeah. And it's this weird, uh, paradigm in the disability community where you have a lot of people it seems like you have to prove that you're just as good as everyone else and if you do accept that help that you are somehow not as disabled or not as worthy um handicap stickers come up a lot in the community like who really deserves them and really yeah it's this really bizarre like polarization of things and like i don't know like i have a handicap sticker i've had one since i'm 18 because sometimes pushing a shopping cart with heavy things is hard yeah like after being hit by a car i didn't want to walk through a parking lot yeah um (laughs) like yeah But yeah, it sounds
0: like there's almost like a pissing contest going on. It's just like, well, if you need this, then you're not as disabled or it's like a whole big like ego fest.
1: It is. You should hear about prosthetic limbs. You wouldn't think that that would be a controversial topic. Really? It is because people are like, oh, if you get a prosthetic limb, then you don't love who you are because you're trying to change who you are. And I'm like, and people have told me that about having my limb lengthening surgeries oh it was just for cosmetic reasons and I'm like nope literally couldn't do my hair like couldn't pull up my pants like (laughs) if something on a high shelf tried to fall on my head I would probably get hurt like yeah I didn't go through I didn't choose at 10 years old to go through this for cosmetic reasons right
0: yeah well I think people do a lot of projecting too like oh yeah what I mean it's like I mean, they, people do it everywhere, but it's, I could imagine in, um, you know, kind of like the disabled community where everybody feels like they have something that they really have to prove. Like there's probably a lot of projection going on, like, you know, because they're feeling a certain way that means you can't do that or, you know, so it's, yeah, that's really interesting. I didn't know that was a, that was a, a thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, uh, a lot of people are like
1: that. And then some of it is justified, like Paralympics get yeah. paid significantly less than regular Olympians. Mm-hmm. I think that's fucking stupid and pointless. So certain outrage makes sense in, like, why aren't we e- like equal? But at the same time, um, we're not going to be equal in everything because we're disabled and we're different. But that's yeah. not a bad thing.
0: Yeah, I like that outlook a lot. Um, so do you have any like advice for anybody that's like struggling with you know whether it's like mental health or it's their physical health or just something to come to like acceptance of where they are like how to get to that like what advice do you have for someone to kind of start that journey you can throw yourself a pity party
1: and you can be mad and sad and you could be totally justified to be there and if you choose to stay there because it's a choice Not only will you be miserable, you will push everyone else away. So you have the choice to change that. And does that mean that you're going to be happy sunshines and rainbows and unicorns all the time? Nope. Does it mean that you have to be totally happy after you make this decision? No. But you can choose to find the silver lining in something. And find that one little silver lining once a day. And then find two. And then find three. and Find what you're passionate about, because it's in this weird way, probably also linked to all the shitty things that you went through. All the shitty things that you went through can probably used to teach someone or to help someone. Yes. And it's not fun and it's not easy and it sucks, but you can do it because you already are. You just have to like you're already living it. You just have to change your outlook on it. And when I changed my outlook, the other thing too, is a lot of my chronic pain decreased.
0: Yeah. I think a lot of times too, people put like, like health conditions and like physical things, like they just look at it from like a 3d topical way. And they're like, okay, like if I want to fix this chronic pain, I have to like take pain meds or I have to like do X, Y, and Z when in reality, the body holds on to so much emotional stuff. Yeah. and. Like people don't realize that when you start healing that emotional, like deep stuff that you might not even know is there, a lot of that like chronic pain or like certain things will start to like, I won't say it's going to make them magically disappear, but it's going to slowly lessen the effects that they have on your body. Yeah. And for the most
1: part, unless it was a traumatic experience, and if even it was a traumatic experience, a lot of these things didn't happen overnight. If you have chronic yes. pain, it's because it happened over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. So expecting a cure to happen magically yeah. is unrealistic. Change your expectations. Yes. And that can be really harsh for some people. Like, I'm not saying being in pain is fun, but there there has to be something that you can escape it for a couple minutes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Whether it's your favorite song or it's laughing or petting your dog. Focus on that and then try and expand it. Yes, It's like whatever that
0: means to you. I love that. I think that's a perfect little silver lining of advice. <laughs> <laughs> so I really enjoyed this conversation. I really appreciate you being so candid and vulnerable about your story and sharing it all with us. Um, if you want to let everybody know where to find you and you know what kind of what you're doing, you can go ahead and let them know. Yeah,
1: so I have the Speed Bumps podcast. I go through more of my story in episode one, and then I just chat with people about their speed bumps. And I started the podcast because everyone goes through stuff, and I think we can all learn from each other. So Taylor's been on it. I've had a bunch of cool people on it, Um, and my hope is that you, like uh, this listener, will connect and or you pass it on to someone, and you guys can form a community to you know one of my guests and. You don't feel so alone because like I mentioned earlier, that was what started to change things is realizing I'm not alone in what I'm going through. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Speed Bumps Podcast, all major platforms, speed.bumps.podcast on Instagram or one thumb L-O-N-E thumb E-L on Instagram.
0: Perfect. And then you also have an Etsy shop, don't you?
1: Oh, yes, I have an Etsy shop. Um, If you go to either one of my Instagrams, it's... Uh, there's, it's like campsite.bio slash one thumb element in Etsy shop is linked in there. Um, I do, I make custom essential oil rollers. I sell crystals. Um, I also do distance Reiki, distance uh, energy healing sessions, wellness coaching, things like that. Mm-hmm. All of that is linked in that campsite.bio slash one thumb L.
0: And then all that will be in the show notes too. So they can go and click away and find you and connect. Um, Thank you. Yeah, well, thank you so much for being on here. It's been an honor and uh always enjoyed the conversations. And by the way, that um was it the peppermint vanilla rollerball thing you gave me smells like a fucking candy cane and it's delightful. (laughs) Yeah, that one's called Starry Night. Yeah, love it. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening and tune in. Oh, I fucked that up. (laughs) That's all right. Thanks guys for listening and we'll chat soon.